Hey, it's Jessica Honiger, founder of the socially conscious fashion brand, Noonday Collection. Welcome to the Going Scared Podcast. Today's guest is my friend, Holly Thagger, the founder of Super Goop, which you can find everywhere from Nordstrom's to Urban Outfitters to your local Sephora. I love Holly's story because it is a true story of tenacity. Holly is an entrepreneur, wife, mother, former school teacher, and professional harpist. Of course, makes perfect sense that she has founded a fast-growing beauty brand. When a friend was diagnosed with skin cancer in her early 30s, Holly set out to learn everything she could about sun damage and sun protection, which eventually led her to create her innovative sunscreen brand, Super Goop. Super Goop's desire is to create the most advanced formula that not only prevent and protect, but feels good. And I am a huge fan of her products. I've been using them for years and I was a little selfish that I wanted her on. We just built a pool and I am terrible about using sunscreen. And you guys, she is so passionate about protecting people from getting skin cancer that it is absolutely contagious. Holly is regular featured in prestigious publications. She's been in Vanity Fair, Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Women's Wear Daily. And I am really excited for you guys to tune into this conversation. Make sure you listen all the way through because Holly offers us a 20% discount on her products. So listen in until the very end. Hey, Holly, welcome to the Going Scared podcast. Hi, Jessica. So excited to be here. (laughs) Okay, so this is crazy. Holly, as you already heard in the intro, is this crazy, accomplished entrepreneur with a passion to see the entire world wearing sunscreen. But we actually have a really special connection because my mom and her mother-in-law walk them all together every day. (laughs) That's right. Isn't that crazy? I mean, they've been walking together for like 30 years. I know. I know every day. And yeah, it's crazy. And, and, uh, I'm so excited that it brought me to you and to, you know, the connection. I know me too. And what's been so great about their friendship is that I'm like the crazy mom that's like traveling the world and growing this fast startup. And I feel like my mom and your mother-in-law have been able to like, connect because you also are traveling like crazy all of the time. So I think my mom actually has a little bit of a paradigm now and isn't quite as hard on me. (laughs) She's like, okay, I get it. I'm so grateful for that too, Jessica, because I feel, and I think it's just, you know, having a a mother-in-law, it's not, it's different than with my own mom who kind of understands and is always supporting. I feel like I'm, I'm making, you know, excuses so much because I'm gone a lot from the family and, um, and so I love that she has, you know, a best friend to talk to who has a daughter that is doing the same thing. So it's, it's, um, it's been very cool for us, for me in more ways than just our relationships. So. Super cool. So first takeaway of the podcast, if you're an entrepreneur, make sure that your mom is friends with someone else who also has a daughter I'm an entrepreneur. It, it goes a long way. Well, I love your story. It's, such a cool story. And I wanted you to just to start off by sharing it with us, starting all the way back to when you were teaching a third grade class around 15 years ago. So what happened to create that shift from classroom to entrepreneur? Yeah. So Jessica, I grew up wanting to be a teacher and I um, played, you know, when you're young and you, you pretend what you want to be, I played teacher all, all day long. And Went to college and um, got out of college and taught third grade, got a great job in this beautiful um, Episcopal private school and put everything to work that I had been saving up over my college career to do and implement and execute on in the classroom. And in fact, like one, I think like the most creative classroom in America that year. But I also felt incredibly claustrophobic and being tied to a school campus and, and, you know, just day in and day out, it just, it it felt like, oh my gosh. And I thought that it was like the biggest mistake I'd ever made because I thought, oh my gosh, I went to college to learn to do this. And now after only one year of teaching, um, it's not for me. 
And fortunately, um, I was also, um, and I grew up playing the harp. Uh, my maternal grandmother is a harpist. And I grew up um, performing. I played a lot of Broadway. And um, I did that alongside that year teaching as well. And so, you know, not knowing what I was going to do, I just kind of said, you know, I can keep playing the harp. And fortunately, I could, I could, um, you know, being single, I could support myself on that. So I, throughout my 20s, I moved to Dallas. My little brother was um, starting uh, college at SMU and um, kind of moved him in the dorms and thought, oh, this looks like a city that has a lot of parties. So I moved to Dallas and and performed and played the harp until um, I literally like met my husband, Ty, and um, ended up playing uh, the part, uh, playing for his best friend's rehearsal dinner. Um, he literally carried my harp out that night. <laughs> and, you know, we, um, we dated for a couple of years before getting engaged. And, and it was then that a good friend of mine, um, was di- a good friend of ours actually was diagnosed with skin cancer. And, you know, growing up, I, my parents are both entrepreneurs and I've always loved to create as well. I always, I love to look for the white space and things. Obviously I was playing the harp. <laughs> and uh, I mean, not many people can like have a career playing a harp. So that's pretty incredible. Yeah. You know, and I talk about it now because it's really not that far, far from the being the entrepreneur that I am today, because, you know, any musician will tell you it's all about just breaking it down measure by measure. And, and eventually you get to the end of the song as you're learning. And it takes a lot of dedication and a lot of discipline to sit there and hammer out one measure after another. And, I think it's, it's very similar to entrepreneurship and that, you know, that's how that that's been my journey anyway, as an entrepreneur is that it's just about putting one foot in front of the other and continuing, you know, to, um, to build and to grow. So I love that analogy. So he carries your heart for you and you, was it like love at first sight? (laughs) It was, (laughs) it was, and it was, and I met his whole family too, because it was, you know, at the wedding, it was at the rehearsal dinner for his best friend. So I like knocked out, there were no unknowns. I met his mother, his father, his brother, and, you know, um, you know, Ty's parents and they're amazing and they're very lovable. And so I just kind of felt like, you know, wow, this was, uh, this was a great gig to have tonight. (laughs) Um, if you, you know, you fast forward through our dating and, and I continued to play the harp and, um, and it was when one of our friends was diagnosed with skin cancer and I was having this conversation with another good, um, very close friend, one of my best friends still today, um, who was going through her residency in dermatology. And, she, you know, we were having this conversation about my friend's skin cancer experience. And, and she said, you know, Holly, it's, it's not the damage, despite all of, you know, SPF marketing, it's not the damage that happens in the summer on the playground um, that turns into skin cancer. It's that daily cumulative exposure in, you know, 10, 15 minute bursts um, during the peak hours of the day that is cumulative. And it's definitely, we know, aging, but it's also um, what results in skin cancer later in life. And for your friend who had very fair skin and had blonde hair, you know, it just happened earlier for him. Wow. And that's when like this light bulb went off in my head that like, gosh, you know, that year I spent teaching, um, I never once saw a tube of sunscreen on the school campus. And she was right. You know, the kids are out in the middle of the day on the playground. The playgrounds um, in school often do not have much shade. And, you know, then after school, a lot of the time, you know, kids are spending hours that you know, even more hours after school in sports. And, you know, we know that um, no SPF product provides continuous all-day protection. And, you know, it was also, I felt very unlikely that my students were even coming to school in the first place with SPF on. And, you know, what I started- Were you putting SPF? I guess you didn't have kids just then yet. No, I didn't have children yet. And I didn't grow up wearing SPF before school every day. Right, right. I mean, who and, did? 
No. And, and, and honestly, you know, today, even still, I'm shocked. And our son goes to an all boys school. There's 400 little boys. And I, I, of course, um, you know, had high hopes that he, his good habits had rubbed off on his friends, but I, um, at their health fair did this little, you know, back of the napkin tally as each child came through the health fair. And out of like 400 children, there were only four that day with sunscreen on. And this was like a year ago. Hey, Holly, listen, this is a no judgment zone. And I'm telling you, I don't put SPF on my kids every day. That's part of the reason I'm having on the podcast (laughs) because I'm needing like a kick in the pants, We just had a surgical oncologist come over a couple of weeks ago who primarily removes melanomas. So we just built a pool and it's like our first summer with a pool. And I'm kind of doing this because I really need you to like kick me in the pants. I wanted to get all the facts and I needed to really do this. And so I'm sure there's a ton of people listening right now that do not put sunscreen on their kids. Yeah, well, and, you know, that's what we feel like our job. And so, you know, I was originally inspired to by, you know, thinking about that time in the classroom. And I was like, gosh, you're right. No, I never saw sunscreen. I didn't wear it as a teacher. My kids weren't applying it throughout the day. And I was like, what is that brand that's happy? Because when I asked people about, hey, what do you think about this category and SPF and everything? I mean, everyone's face is always like, Ooh, you know, icky, sticky, you know, they just have a negative connotation with the very word sunscreen. Mm. And, and so, you know, I knew that if I was going to change the way the world thinks about sunscreen, um, which is something that, you know, which is that original kind of like, wow, this category is so sleepy. And, and what is that brand that would be found in schools on campus and that children would, um, equate to getting outside and enjoying life. And, and, you know, I always say people don't come to our brand to sit on the couch inside and watch TV. They, you know, they enjoy an, an, an active outside lifestyle. Um, and when I looked at the category, you know, I just was like, I, I don't see it out there because I feel like there is, um, as I learned more and more about SPF, there is the, there there's no one right product for every single skin type in America. And, you know, there are some skin types that um, people, for example, with darker skin um, or black skin, it, you know, they don't do really well with mineral formulas because mineral formulas um, tend to look pasty and ashy on the skin. And, or for example, a high athlete who needs to have their pores sweat naturally because of the intensity of their sport. And so a chemical formula is, is, you know, more advantageous so that it's absorbed into the skin. But what what I found in the market at the time was like all the chemical formulas were just full of very controversial ingredients. Um, They were full of paraben preservative systems Um, oxybenzone was at the time, and this was in 2007 in every single chemical formula. So I felt like there was an opportunity to do chemical formulations in a clean way. And there was an opportunity to take mineral formulations because there's also, um, you know, a skin type that is, is much, uh, my daughter, for example, who's 13, her skin is much more sensitive than anyone in our family and she needs a mineral formula. So I felt like there was an opportunity to create mineral formulas that, um, that, that weren't ashy and pasty on the skin. Well, it's interesting that you bring this up because Jack, I have three kids and, you know, Jack is from Africa and he gets a horrible rash with every sunscreen until last summer, my mom was watching the kids and she was applying super goop to them every day. Cause she's better mom, <laughs> better grandma than I am mom. <laughs> and Jack did not get a rash. And so there really is uh, you, you've sound, found some sort of secret sauce here. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think when you take out those controversial ingredients and I think chemical sunscreens really get a bad reputation today as, and putting them all in one bucket. And we know that not all chemicals are bad. You know, I mean, for example, water is a chemical, right? Right. Um, And, you know, uh, lead is a mineral. So, so, you know, I think that, um, 
you can't generalize like that, but when you do, when you are mindful of the ingredients and we have over a hundred ingredients on our no list, um, our head of product development, and I work very closely with her is, um, like an encyclo walking encyclopedia for ingredients. And, you know, when you take out all of the very controversial, even down to any of the synthetic or chemical fragrances, I mean, you remove that from the formulas, that alone is one of the most irritating um, ingredients that is often used in chemical sunscreens because most formulators really try to mask any smell of the chemical formula. And so, you know, when you, when you, you know, this is all we do. We're obsessed with SPF, Jessica. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I can tell I'm learning a lot. <laughs> so I, you know, I felt like there was this real opportunity to do it, to do both, you know, cause there's a time and a place for everything. And it's also very important to us that we not compromise the efficacy and chemical sunscreens can be highly efficacious and still be clean. And, you know, if we're trying to stop the epidemic of skin cancer, which is something we're very passionate about, um, bringing those products to market that are highly efficacious and that aren't going to fail the consumer um, or separate, which is often um, if you don't have a very, very stable mineral, for mineral formula, um, separation can occur and you think you're protected. And I mean, my goodness, that's like the worst thing in the world if you think you're protected and then, and then your skin is not. Okay, so you have this light bulb moment. You become passionate about a safe SPF and protecting other people. And prime. so then you went automatically back to how can I get this into the classroom? So tell us a little bit about how the obstacles that were involved in that and sort of the story of how that didn't work out and how you pivoted. Yeah, it, it completely failed. <laughs> um, talk Every entrepreneur about, has a failure story. Yes, talk about going scared. It, um, so my original idea was, of course, to take this first formula, um, just one foot in front of the other, found my chemist, found my manufacturer, created this first formula. Um, you know, it was super. <laughs> and my, my business model was to go um, forward with distribution into elementary schools across America. And I quickly learned that every state in the U.S., aside from California at the time, um, required a doctor's note to have an SPF on, um, on the school campus and accessible for children, which sounds kind of, when I say that, people's jaw usually drops. They're like, what do you mean? You can't bring sunscreen to school. Um, but, it, you know, it's sunscreen, and, and this just shows how sleepy the category was, um, it's in it, because it was such an antiquated law that existed. But, um, you know, sunscreen is thought of as an over-the-counter drug, as it should be, because it does something active, right? And it should be regulated by the FDA. But there was a policy in school, um, in school laws that existed that said no OTC drug can be on school campus without a, a, a doctor's permission slip. Wow. And nobody, aside from one mom in California, um, who actually carved out a policy and and made it her mission. She had a child that died of melanoma and she made it her mission to change that law in California. So, um, California, when I set out to do this and I lived in Texas, um, was the only state that I felt like I could work with because they allowed sunscreen in schools. Okay. Go Texas. We're kind of, we're kind of a little bit of those outliers. <laughs> yes. So, um, so, you know, what I, what I then did had to already pivot when I found that out, which was pretty quickly, but then I decided, you know what, I, what I know most is private schools because that's where I taught my, my year out of school and, and, uh, and private schools can write their own rules. They don't have to follow state policy. Um, so I hit the pavement and, you know, talk to as many school boards and, and, you know, heads of schools as I could about this program, which I had also associated with it was a, a price tag, right? Because somebody had to pay for a super group. And, 
um, I tried to sell, I went trying to sell this program into schools. And along with it, of course, came a curriculum. And I wrote by grade level for pre-K through fifth grade, this appropriate lesson um, plan for that they could incorporate as a supplement to their health and wellness teachings um, that sort of taught the kids about the importance of SPF. And, and just, you know, for several years, could not scale it. I got up to like six schools, Jessica. It was so depressing. I could not, um, I couldn't sell this into schools. It turns out that the, you know, what I know now is the world really wasn't ready for this back in 2007. Um, I was a little ahead of my time. Um, and after those two school years of, you know, writing this curriculum and going into the classrooms and getting everyone excited about it, I realized it just wasn't, I couldn't scale it. And you know, when you have a big mission to change the way the world thinks about sunscreen, it has to be scalable. And so I really had to take a close, close look at what I was trying to do and think about it, you know, entirely differently. And, you know, fortunately for me, the schools that I did have on board, the parents were appreciative of, you know, this healthy habit that I had taught their children. And they started asking me um, if I would go to their country club and, you know, talk to their country club about, you know, putting super goop pumps on the golf course and the tennis courts. And, and I thought, huh, that's interesting. Yeah. You know, these kids are getting out for summer and they've learned to protect their skin and I need to be where they are going to be. Um, that summer. So um, I took off for, you know, hitting the country clubs around where these schools were located in Texas and in Louisiana and launched our same pump that was um, in those classrooms in these country clubs. And so, but what was bothering me was that, you know, country clubs were very um, seasonally oriented to be heavy in the summer. And so my whole vision for this brand has always been about 365 days a year. I want people to stop thinking about sunscreen as a seasonal item. And while UVB burning rays are definitely more prevalent and sunburns happen more frequently in the summer months, the UVA aging rays are out and about in equal intensity um, all 12 months of the year, even on rainy, cloudy days, they, they are bouncing around wrecking havoc on our skin. And it's those moments that I think are, are the most cumulative that eventually end up as skin cancer. So, you know, I, I felt like going, if I, if I had to pivot in order to scale, to pivot towards a seasonal distribution channel, a la, you know, country clubs, swimming pools, golf, and tennis, was not a good fit for, for my mission. Still niche. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, but, you know, I know that all good change happens because, you know, it's much easier to change children's behavior or, or form children's healthy habits than it is to change like an adult's behavior. I mean, even, you know, like you said, you, you know better, and it's even still hard for you to, to get SPF on your kiddos every day. And so I felt like, you know, when I thought about change in this world. And I, I remember thinking about, um, the don't be a litter bug campaign. I'm probably aging myself right now, but, um, you know, it wasn't because children were littering that don't be a litter bug launched in America. It was a way to, for the, to appeal to children so that they could encourage their dad from like throwing a cup out the window of the car. Right. <laughs> so my kids, you, if I tell them any sort of goal I have, they are like keeping me accountable. I may have to be careful what I say out loud. Absolutely. You do. And, and I knew that, you know, I was trying to make a change happen similar to don't be a litter. I wanted to stop, you know, I didn't want to stop littering. I wanted to get everybody wearing sunscreen every day. So I've, I've always felt like the brand itself should appeal to children as well as adults. Um, and so, you know, when I thought about that in terms of a distribution channel for this, and I was kind of self-teaching myself retail and, um, you know, I, I looked to those, um, I felt like a better, more scalable path would be um, like prestige children's channels 
So when I thought about who was helping educate the, you know, our youth in America, I thought about retailers like FAO Schwartz, which was, you know, in and of itself, which is the biggest storyteller of all in New York City. And um, there was a retailer that's now sadly defunct, but it was um, called Giggle. And um, their stores were based throughout L.A., San Francisco and New York. But it was just a highly curated assortment of the best of the best for kids. And and so I really looked to those prestige children's channels that could help me tell parents a story and help educate and um at the time, Baby Style was another one that had about 25 doors in the U.S. But, I mean, it was just very for, you know, I'd say 2009 and 10. I just really focused on on our distribution in these high-end children's stores that would really partner with me to do Q&As, to talk about why this was important and, and really help me connect with families. But then, you know, it really... Even that became difficult, I felt, to scale. And what I was seeing from most of my um, part friends that I had met um, and other brand founders that were in the prestige children's space, most of those um, beautiful children's brands end up, in order to scale, going to Target. And they end up going mass. And... And the brands stay as beautiful as they are, but they just, they have to do that. And I've always felt like the epidemic of skin cancer doesn't exist because there's, you know, a shortage of SPF on store shelves. I mean, you can walk through Target and and mass grocers and see huge end caps full of SPF products, but they're not telling stories and they're not educating it. They're just the products there, but no, it's, it's seasonal. They're putting them up and distorting them in the summer months and not in the winter. And so, you know, that just felt really wrong for me too. Um, but, but fortunately, um, the skincare buyer at Sephora was a new mom and had stumbled on our brand, um, in, in Giggle in San Francisco. And she reached out, she called the number on the packaging, which, you know, <laughs> um, you had your phone number on the packaging. Oh yeah. So that was my, cell, my cell phone. And, uh, she introduced herself and she said, you know, we think this is really interesting what you're doing. All of the brands in Sephora for skincare right now are really all about correcting the damage that's been done. And, and, uh, they're very doctor driven. You know, you had doc, all of the name, your favorite dermatologist had a skincare line and it was always a, like a race to the clinicals about how to fix everything that's broken, but you're taking a very preventative approach and making it very fun and playful. And it's interesting to me. Um, and she said, you know, Sephora is known to really help brands grow and to tell their story. And the more I kind of dug in, she said, you know, when you feel like you're ready, we'd love to talk with you. And, you know, that really, um, that really was a big break for me because I feel that they have been such an incredible partner in helping us tell our story. And, um, you know, we, this was in, I guess, 2011. And, um, I, when I thought about who we were trying to reach as a consumer, I feel like that young shopper. And and this was, when you think back to 2011 tanning beds, people still talked about tanning beds then like young 25 year olds were, were visiting tanning beds. Um, and so, you know, I felt like that was a good demographic to really help educate. And then I also felt like, you know, catching that mom with the stroller and two kids, you know, that, um, that consumer was shopping in Nordstrom. And so we ended up launching both Nordstrom and Sephora, um, in 2011 together, which was my first sort of eye opening experience of like, wow, I could really scale this, this way. And, and the following conversations were actually even a little rougher because, the plan for launch. And I didn't know, you know, I, I wasn't from the beauty industry. So I think, you know, I had a real advantage not knowing, um, how the beauty industry works, but the, the conversation initially for our launch was we're going to do a big end cap for summer. 
And I think, you know, a lot of beauty entrepreneurs that that's like a dream. That's state. A dream. Yeah. You're like, yes, but you're like, that's my worst nightmare. That's going against my mission. Exactly. And so I'm sitting there at the table in San Francisco with, you know, 10 people from Sephora and me. And they're like, we're going to do this big end cap for summer. We're going to distort all of this. And, and I'm like, guys. Um, and I'm kind of like raising my hand, you know, just like, Oh my gosh, how do I say this? But I'm so grateful. I'm so flattered. Thank you. But I've got to secure 12 months. I've got to make sure that the, our space in your store looks as beautiful in the dead of winter as on the 4th of July. And everybody just kind of went, huh? <laughs> And I said, you know, if that means we need to scale this way back, what can you do for me if I want that? I, I've got to prove to you that I can be as productive on store shelves in the winter as I can in the summer. That and is so gutsy. I want to like kiss your face right now because you were taking the long view yeah. and you were willing to take a short term loss for a longevity and staying true to your why. Yep. It's so important. You've just got to have a why. And, and, and it really becomes simple. I think when you have such a strong mission and you know what you are there for, the decisions really, you know, they really become pretty simple. If we weren't yeah. going to do it like this, we shouldn't be doing it. They weren't the right partner. But and tell me this though, because how, how, how are you a storytelling brand? Cause we're a storytelling brand, but that's why we didn't go into stores, but like, that's why we have women inviting women into their homes and yeah. so that we have an ambassador who can literally tell the story behind the brand. Because I saw the same thing when I was starting noonday, I would see these social brands sitting at anthropology and I'm like, no one's here to tell the story. It's a tag that no one's reading. No one's reading. Yep. We don't. So how did you. How did you still stay true to that? I mean, I can see, yeah. So, so saying like, we're going to have. Yeah. Well, and I think it's important too, Jessica, to note that back in 2011, there were no direct to consumer brands. Wow. You know, I mean, this wasn't, this was when business was built at retail. So I had to choose those retailers really, really carefully that, and Sephora is amazing. I mean, I just got back from Vegas last week where I spent, a full day with 350 of the leading educators in all of Sephora nationwide. And, you know, they hold your hand through this. And I mean, I was able to tell our story directly and I am multiple times of the year. I'm going back to Vegas. We're doing it all again in August. So they then can go back to their stores and alongside our field team, which we have five very strong, um, people on our sunshine squad that go into stores and help fill in the blanks when, you know, throughout the year and tell our story and all of the people on the Sephora team, they have, they have, um, the, they're called the cast. <laughs> I always forget that internally. We all know that, but they then go back and tell, you know, and tell our story to the rest of the cast in that store. And then, and then those are the people that are telling our story to consumers. It wasn't immediately right then and there that they said yes. They had to, of course, go regroup and everything. But um, when I got the call um, that January, it was on January 26th. And I know that because it was my little brother's birthday. And, um, and he had just made a personal investment in, in our brand. And I got the call from the Sephora team that said, Congratulations. We're so excited to offer you six inches of space on our skincare advanced favorites wall six and we, inches. six inches. And they were like, and we can confirm your placement there for 12 months. Wow. And I was just through over the moon. I mean, I was, I was just ecstatic and, and, you know, it really shaped so much that I didn't even know at the time. But when I think about that, day now, I immediately went to this place in my head of now it's my job to deliver to them on a silver platter, the SPF products that have never been done before that are going to be as productive in the winter as is on the summer. So it really shaped our product. And, and by the way, 
Just, just for our listeners that don't know retail, can you just productive? Will you explain that real quick? Sure. And and what my, you know, productive is just how well it's going to do. I mean, obviously, if I put a sunscreen product on the shelf and it and it doesn't sell all month, then it's not going to keep its space. So I felt like because I've been given this this beautiful space on their shelves for 12 months, I had to then go create SPF that's never been thought of before that you would reach for in November um, without any hesitation. And so that it would, you know, become a very important skew, a very important product to the retailer. And it, it you know, it's really shaped how, how we've thought about research and development at Supergoop because, you know, we feel like it, for us to disrupt this category and to, you know, it has to be in the form of product. Product is everything. You know, if you don't have something unique, why bother? And so, um, you know, I know one of your favorite products is our makeup setting mist, for example. I mean, when we launched that in 2015, there was not a, a makeup setting mist on the market that you could literally spray right over your full face of makeup and at the same time be reapplying a broad spectrum SPF 50. Oh, it's, it's incredible. I mean, it's like sneaky, you know, and I need sneaky because <laughs> I am cynical and I have dark skin already or I'm, I'm tan. I'm not mm-hmm. dark skin. And I mean, I just took this to Vietnam, this spray and where it is super humid and everyone's like, Jessica, you look like you have not been sweating at all today. And I'm like, I promise you it's this spray, but then it's a spray that's also protecting me. So I love how you're just kind of like sneaking it into everything. You know, when my kids, I don't know about you, but when my kiddos were young, I would put peas in their peanut butter and jelly sandwich and just to get the vegetables in their body. And I tell our chemists that all the time. I'm like, that's what we're doing. We're sneaking the SPF into beautiful, luxurious, feel-good formulas that people want to apply. They're going to want to wear them every single day. You're not putting it on because you know you have to. You're putting it on because it feels amazing, like a body. I mean, my favorite product is our body butter. And right out of the shower, it just melts into your skin and it feels amazing. And then I'll mist our, our sun defying sunscreen oil right over our, my shoulders because it makes my shoulders look younger and healthier and glowing. And, you know, that's our job is as a brand to bring to consumers what you need so that it's not a chore and so that it's easy and it feels great and you can feel good about the ingredients that we formulate with and really just get it into your routine year round. I mean, I, I call it my SPF wardrobe because on any given day, I have like six or seven different SPF products on. There's not really one that... Um, you know, whereas I think a lot of people today still think about like, what is my SPF? And it really should be more about, you know, what's your activity? What are you doing? Um, you know, what does that day look like for you mm-hmm. to be able to pick the right SPF product so that, you know, it's easy. That's our job. Well, a spray on miss, <laughs> let me tell you, that was made for me. So there you go. That's the way that SPF has gotten on to my skin. I'm so glad. Well, and you know, that's the one question I've been asked most over my career is how do I reapply? Holly, you say to reapply my SPF, but does anybody really in the middle of the day want to start their whole makeup face over? I mean, it's just, it's just not practical. And so, you know, for me, I was like, and I, I literally dream about SPF. So I was like, huh, if, if that's a problem and people don't know how to reapply and we know they need to, we got to get them, give them what they need to be able to do that. And so that's, that was the answer to that, that problem. And uh, even more recently, we launched an invincible makeup setting powder because I've learned from having the mist on the market that some people are mist, refreshing mist people. And some people would rather reapply a powder. And, and it's been really a success too. So we're just, we feel like we're that, you know, we're just giving people ways to do what they know they need to do to be healthy. And well, and what I find to be so interesting is that the Sephora buyer discovered you in a children's store, but Sephora does not specialize in children's products. So that was a pivot as well to now focus Absolutely. on 
adults and you didn't change the branding too much. I mean, I would say the look <laughs> and feel is still very similar. Um, did they, was that a discussion topic on the table of changing sort of the branding and the, in the packaging? You know, it's actually more, it was more of a conversation when I entered children's because children's boutique and retail wanted me to put for baby or for kid on the packaging. And so it was actually never discussed at Sephora because I felt very strongly that to put for baby or child on a product at the time when I was in the children's space would, you know, children can what they start to read at like five, six years old. And then all of a sudden they were going to like stop this healthy habit that they had started when they were younger because it said for baby. Um, and I felt like that was going to be really a miss. Um, if our product all of a sudden to a 10 year old didn't look good because it had for baby on the packaging. And so I really resisted the, the, um, most frequent request was to put for baby or for kid. And then the second part to that is I always felt like um, children look to their parents to be good role models. And so if they could look at their mom and dad pulling this out of their golf bag or their tennis bag or, you know, the mom having this in her bathroom and the child at three, four, five saw the same product that they were using, they would be also witnessing a role model situation their whole childhood, which I thought was really healthy. So, um, you know, Sephora had, they just saw this as this fun, playful brand. They didn't really think about it from a perspective of um, it being a kid or baby product. Which really is such a kindred partnership that they saw, saw it the same way you did. Okay. So you are an inspiration for real. You were a school teacher and professional harpist, no formal business training, no experience in dermatology or the beauty industry. And yet you are blazing trails in sunscreen and skincare, skin protectant protection niches. And I think it'd be easy for someone even listening to think, oh, she got her break with Sephora. But what I hear is all of that work leading up to that moment absolutely contributed to the success that you have today. So when you think about the person that's just sort of starting off right now, who wants to launch a business, but's holding back, what should she do to get started? Yeah. So, you know, I think it's really important to recognize that all of everything that you just named that I did, it's part of my journey. It's part of my special story. And I didn't know, like, I didn't know that teaching or, or, launch in children's or all of this was leading up. And, you know, we're actually now coming full, full circle and launching in schools across America. And the whole program is funded by our retail partnerships that we've built over the last decade. So we're actually going back and going into, we have a goal of a thousand classrooms in America. And it's like this super simple program to like, just reach out and we'll ship you a pump to your child's classroom. Has um, a lot changed. Yes. Yeah, so now we have 11 states and we've been advocating all along the way to change policies. And uh, when Texas changed the law last year is when I said, it's time, we're going back, we're, go we're going to schools. Um, and it was, you know, a real exciting time for us. But to answer your question about, you know, your journey is I think, you know, the one thing that I've always been really mindful of is, well, two things. One is confidence. You have to have confidence and in your conviction of what you're doing. And for me, that has never meant asking for a lot of opinions. Um, back in 2007, if I had asked for any opinions from the beauty industry about an SPF product, it would have, I would have never gotten anything done. Um, it was, and, but I yet had the confidence to continue and to know that I was, I was seeing something that needed to be done in this world. So I think one is having that confidence that you, you, what you, what you've in your head created is, is important. And, you know, that's, it's just very important for any entrepreneur to have. Um, but then I think, you know, equally of, of importance is to not be shy to ask for help. And, you know, people really do want to help people. And I, um, you know, just 
because I think we've all, I've always had such a big mission. I've known that I'm going to need a lot of help and, you know, I need to, whether it's leaning on Sephora to help me build, or if, if I'm not, you know, doing something that, or if I feel like I'm not growing as fast as I can be asking for that help or leaning on my brother, I'm not really great with numbers. I hate spreadsheets. Um, my brother happened to out of college, you know, go into banking and, in retail and, and my husband is an incredible with a spreadsheet and pivot tables and all, you know, but you have to be as an entrepreneur, you have to identify, I think what you are, what you do bring personally to the table and then ask for help for the other things. And, you know, even just a big turning point for our brand was just two years ago when I took a step back and realized that I, we were getting to be this size where, you know, we really needed a strong leadership team. And that means, you know, a a big position in the role of VP of operations, VP of sales, VP of marketing. I really, you know, for a while, I think entrepreneurs just hire the people that they need to help them kind of as they seem overwhelmed. But when I realized that I, I felt like I needed help in even finding those people and, and, putting a good culture for our brand together. And, and it's actually when I set out and and looked to hire a president to run the company, um, who has been with us for uh, this August will be two years, but I knew what I brought to the table was more of the, you know, the passion, the inspiration, the, um, SPF obsessed product developer and, and all of these things, but, you know, actually running the company and having all of these positions report up to me is not something that I'm necessarily felt was, you know, within my own skill set. So, you know, I think, um, as an entrepreneur, you need to know when to ask for help and find it, be very resourceful and finding the help that you need to get you where you need to go. You know, it's interesting. I think you just spoke two things that are automatically obstacles to so many women, which is that we constantly are looking for opinions and validation and permission. And what you said, number one is don't look for that. Like you've got to have it in yourself. And number two, asking for help, which I cannot tell you how challenging it is for so many of my listeners to ask for help. And yet that has been such a theme throughout all of these podcasts is you've got to ask for help. Yeah, it, it's critical. And you know what has happened since I was able to do that? We have this incredible team and everything is just clicking. And, you know, that's when you can really start to see the magic happen. And, you know, I, I couldn't, you can't, you can't try to do everything and be everything. And, and, uh, and that means at home too. I mean, you know, going back to my our earlier conversation about my mother-in-law, I ask for help all the time. And I always, I still today kind of go, okay. You know, I, I feel like when, when I dial her number and I do it multiple times a day, but I feel like she almost maybe thinks that I, I just call her when I need help, but you know what? It takes a village. And if she can help, she's always so happy to do that. And And, you know, the same is true. If she can't, she'll tell me. And then I have to go to, you know, my second or third choice, which I always have backup for that too. So, and my husband's always been really good about encouraging that too. And so I think asking for help around the house too, and so that you can truly make every minute count and be present when you're, you know, with your kids and your children. And Mm -hmm. it's so true. It's so true. And it's crazy. I mean, I'm eight years in and I still feel like I'm asking myself these questions of what is my highest impact for my company and also my family? Because sometimes those things change and you've got to adapt and um, be willing to transform and change. And sometimes that can be challenging as well. Yeah. And you travel a lot, I think more so out of the country. I mean, most of my travel is domestic um, aside from Southeast Asia, but, um, but, you know, you've got to, you've got to have help when you're traveling like that and be fully present when you're out there, um, you know, doing the good that, you know, you were meant to do in this world. Right. Right. Okay. So I know now we have piqued everyone's interests and they're ready to go out and buy Supergoop. Where else aside from Sephora, can we find you? Oh yeah. So, well, we're also online, supergoop.com. 
Um, but Sephora, Nordstrom, Blue Mercury, Anthropology, Urban Outfitters, these are some of our, our key accounts that we stay focused on building. And then we can also go direct to your website. We go direct to our website. We um, have a ton of education on our website. Um, there's information too on our program. If you want super goop in your child's classroom, I believe me, I was a teacher. I know how inundated they are with things on their list. We keep it really simple. And we just ask that you advocate at your school for your teacher or your headmaster. And when the school says, yeah, sure. I, I don't know why we wouldn't have sunscreen available. Um, you know, we just, we'll just ship it to your, to your child's classroom. That's and, uh, and you know, some, may not be right for, we always say, you don't have to, just because Supergoop is in the classroom, that doesn't mean every child and their families are on board with them wearing sunscreen every day, but it's, it's available. available. And that's what we feel is important to give, to give people, you know, we wouldn't send the kids into the cafeteria without, you know, having soap and water to wash your hands. But we know, you know, not all kids are washing their hands before lunch. We hope they are, (laughs) but, uh, so but, you know, it's, it's available. <laughs> well, I love your tenacity. I love your passion. I feel like you are leading a revolution and I can't wait to have you back on even in a couple of years. And I'm sure you're going to be a household brand because of the sunscreen well, being, being in all of these schools. So thanks for caring for our kids and our skin and our health. And thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks so much for having me. This was so much fun. <laughs> so much fun. Holly has been extremely generous and she has offered a 20% coupon off all of her products from supergoop.com. All you need to do to get your coupon code is subscribe to my email list. So go to jessicahoniger.com, subscribe to my email list. It's already going out to all of my current email tribe. And y'all, I really try to use my email tribe to offer exclusives, to get behind the scenes. It's content that you're not going to find anywhere else. So go subscribe by going to jessicahoniger.com. And we are happy to give you this coupon code. If you're already a part of my list, you will be getting that coupon coupon code at some point today. Everybody, let's put on our sunscreen this summer. And if you're in a place where you're wondering, gosh, you feel like you've seen a problem, but it feels crazy that you could actually be part of the solution. I want you to think about that. It was a friend was sharing a problem with her um, skin cancer. She noticed that there was never sunscreen available in a classroom. And now that's her life's mission her story really encouraged me. Thanks so much for tuning in and I will see you later on in my email tribe. Thanks so much for joining me on the Going Scared podcast today. If you like what you heard in this episode, be sure and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave a review so other people will join the conversation. If you'd like some behind the scenes looks at my life as a CEO, a mom, and a courage catalyzer, be sure to follow along on Facebook and on Instagram at Jessica Honiger, H-O-N-E-G-G-E-R. Until next time, let's take each other by the hand and keep going scared. Thank you.